Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. Here today with Julian Traeger. He is the CEO of Anglo Pacific, royalty and streaming company here in London. How are you, Julian? I'm good. How are you? Okay, it's been a while. Too long. Too long. Always too long. Yes. Always too long. Well, let's kick off with a one-minute summary for people new to this story, just so they know who you are, and we'll pick it up from there. So Anglo-Pacific is a unique uh, financing vehicle for the mining sector, mm -hmm. listed in London and in Canada. And we are global, uh, and we focus not on gold and silver, but on other commodities which are part of the changing world and energy efficiency for the 21st century. Get someone. Get someone. Now you're but, one of. I think you're the only royalty company here in London. Yes, that's still the case. Well, Certainly, we were the, the only case. mining royalty. There is another listed general royalty company. Right. Okay. And and just on that, if most people sort of know the large American gold, precious metal type royalty companies, these billion dollar companies. Yes. You do a bit of gold, but you've you you do touch upon some more slightly esoteric commodities and, yes. and, and it started off originally with um, the Kestrel yes. uh, royalty which is quite a, a big deal for you back then and mm. I appreciate well why don't you tell us a bit about the portfolio today well the portfolio today consists of around 15 major royalties so as you say correctly we did start with effectively one and we've mm. really been diversifying the portfolio uh, shifting away from Kestrel which is the core mm. uh, investment into new areas. Last year we were involved with copper uh, and iron ore, but we've always been sticking to um, good locations. We haven't mm. changed that. So we continue to be uh, concentrated in, in good jurisdictions, mm. safer places. Uh, but I think we have a unique opportunity, uh, unlike these precious peers that you're talking about, mm. to um, be part of the uh, electric vehicle um, greener story, which I think is more difficult for gold and silver companies, and we're yeah. in that transition. Well, the silver companies are trying, believe me. Um, I'm sure everybody's <laughs> trying, but <laughs> I think you know, for us, it makes a lot of sense uh, because our materials can actually, in some instances, be carbon negative. Never mind carbon neutral. Right. So, but, but let's talk about um, Castrol because that's that's the, was the first deal. It was a big deal. It's it's generated a lot of revenue for you, but it has that. Aura of you know it's it's you know, it's, it's dirty dirty old coal I think people would think of it but it, it it's not that really in in the sense of conventional coal is it no it's the coal that's used for steel making and right. it's not nearly as dirty as the other coal right uh, and the other thing about Kestrel is it's producing enormous amounts of income for us uh, but after uh, a couple of years and that's now probably three years away mm. it starts to decline so I'll overall coal exposure is really going to diminish quite rapidly over right. the next couple of years. But Kestrel is really important in terms of being able to make the steel that the world needs for um, you know, uh, development. And I think uh, there's increasingly a distinction uh, amongst investors between the coal that's used for energy, yeah. which we also have a very small amount of, mm -hmm. but we do have some exposure to that. It's around 7% uh, well, of our income last year uh, and the other type of coal which is used for steel uh, which is much more difficult to substitute and not really part of the energy complex. Right, it's worth distinguishing because most people just see the word coal and they don't understand. So when you're talking about this green 
story, this green focus, the part of the EV revolution. It's, you know, people need to understand that you truly are delivering on that or trying to deliver on that. Have they been making life difficult on you? I know they're going to tail off, but have they been making life difficult in the sense that they're producing more, generating more revenue for you right now as a percentage of your total portfolio? Well, I don't think that's a bad thing. I mean, having more money is always good. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's something we can recycle into other uh, materials and commodities, which is what we're in the process of doing. Mm. Um, but I think uh, the fact that they are really ramping up and growing so rapidly uh, is a good thing. And it also, um, you know, gives us really exposure to coal in the quite short term. Mm. So if there are more material negative consequences for coal in the medium term, mm -hmm. uh, we'll be pretty much um, inoculated against that. Right. And are you happy? Because again, we talked about the, um, the American precious metal type royalties. These are billion dollar companies, you know, two to you know, $12 billion companies. They, they, ha they have size on their si side and of course, obviously doing very, very well at the moment. So, you know, that's, that's nothing short of good for them. Where are you happy to sit and position yourself? Do you want to compete with them or do you want to find your own niche being this greener royalties and streaming company? Well, I think we want to find our own niche, but obviously we would like to be of a similar size in terms right. of market cap. And, you know, what's interesting is the most successful of those companies, which is Franco Nevada, trades at something like a 90 times P.E. ratio. And we trade at a nine times P.E. ratio or maybe even seven or eight. Right. So there's a tremendous valuation gap. And, you know, how we bridge that valuation gap, I think, is one of the challenges we face in terms of getting better known. Right. But we certainly don't want to compete with them because of their very elevated ratings. Yeah. They have an extremely low cost of capital. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, the market seems to uh, still back them. But I think for the risks associated with the mining sector, getting 8 to 12% or more on your investment and your financing makes more sense. And that's really... Uh, what we can achieve um, if we don't compete in the gold and silver space, which is highly competitive. And what's very interesting about the mining sector recently and the way in which it's evolving is this increasing uh, lack of capital coming into the sector and the fact that the cost of capital continues to go up. And I think, as, as you say, a pretty unique uh, investor to the non-gold and silver uh, sector, we see so much deal flow and we see much better terms now on the table, both in terms of return, but also in terms of the details of the contracts we can negotiate with our counterparties. Right. Okay. Understood. Can we just talk about, you said before when we spoke before, this is, this is mining without the mining risk. That was a yes. nice opener to you know, what royalties are in the mining space. Um, and if I look at your portfolio now, and what you said to me about this, you know, being part of the EV revolution, how are you going to be able to scale up? Because again, I, I looked at the presentation, you looked at 222 deals, you did too. Last it's hard, it's, it's, it's time consuming, it's expensive. Well, no, how it's, do you... it's hard to make money. You can, right. you can put money out and people will go. take it 24 seven. Right. Um, so we could have done many more deals, but I think, um, you know, the trick has been to invest wisely and make sure that we're getting in at the right stage of the cycle, uh, investing um, cheaply and have a good entry point. But there is um, you know, a lot of opportunity. Um, and as I said, because of the shortage of capital yeah. uh, in, the, in the sector, you know, I hope that we will be doing more deals you know, three to four a year. 
uh, but we will never be a deal machine if we want to good, do good transactions, right. particularly as most of our focus is on producing royalties and not on um, the development of royalties, which right. is the area where there's a lot of uh, risk, but also yeah. capital shortages. Absolutely. And so, again, coming back to the scale thing, how do, how do you drive scale? You, you've set yourself some thresholds. So what, what are the criteria by which you will and won't invest? Because you want, clearly, the returns is, a, is the ultimate number. Well, returns is one of the numbers. Right. Um, What's the most I important mean, thing for you? Well, there are many. I mean, one is not being in bad jurisdictions. One is being uh, part of this coherent story about having purer, less polluting right. materials, uh, the counterparties behaving responsibly on, from an ESG perspective. Part of it is being, you know, low cost. Part of it is being with honest counterparties. So many criteria, which is yeah. the explanation for why we only did two deals last year, yeah. uh, because it's very difficult to tick all those boxes. But um, I mean, this year we, um, you know, are confident that within the first quarter we will announce two two transactions, um, and so I think we're on course to put uh, more money to work in more deals. We, in fact, just announced, as you may be aware an extension of our borrowing facility, yep. so we have more firepower. Yep. Um, so I think um, we are very conscious of the need to accelerate um, the uh, pace of investing. And there are some things that came over from the end of last year, which will be completed in the first quarter of this year. Right. So I guess what I'm trying to establish is you have some standards and some controls in place, which you're mm. not deviating from. because. No, you want to hit certain numbers. I, I get the soft no, I, stuff. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that sets you apart. You're saying this d defines us. It, it differentiates us. I get that. Yes, but you've also got you want to hit good numbers, returns. Yes, to the portfolio and there, and revenues. Um, you know, we have a roughly six percent dividend yield today. Uh, yeah. We can borrow money at three percent, and our criteria are to get sort of after tax returns of you know, eight to 12% for the very best quality royalties, going up to 15 to 20% for situations which, more, with ha which have more development risk. Right. Um, and ultimately, that is an overriding criterion. So we need to make sure that the deals we do are accretive to our shareholders and mm -hmm. we keep growing as we have done yep. um, over the past couple of years. But increasingly, there are these other issues um, which are very important and relevant to us. So even if we had, you know, a twenty percent deal in a terrible jurisdiction which was very polluting, we wouldn't do it, right? Uh, because we are on this path um, to be, uh, you know, part of the story of how we green the planet. Yeah, it's kind of part actuarial yes. and part philosophical in the sense that you've got to do right. Yes. Which, is, which is great, but at the end of the day, you're judged on the numbers. So again, so we look at your share price. It's come mm. off mm. a bit. Mm. You know, you were flying last year, and, and I say just a bit. It, it's come off a little bit. Um, why do you think that is? What is the cause of that? Well, it's a, it, it can't be our performance because we just announced, as you know, that uh, last year we had around seventy-five yeah. million dollars of income. And yeah. when I joined the company um six years yeah. ago now we had five million dollars of income but the share price was higher than it is today um i mean i think a lot of retail investors um are concerned about uh, the coronavirus in china and a slowdown in china and what that may mean particularly for the materials we're exposed to which are um often used in steel making yeah. 
um, and um, you know, also for electric vehicles, and all of that is slowing uh, apparently in China. I think what people don't appreciate is uh, because of the fact that some of these materials are actually produced domestically in China. For instance, um, the Kestrel coking coal uh, product, yeah. uh, which the Chinese would have produced domestically, isn't happening anymore. And so coking coal prices are up 10% this year. Um, right. And similarly, uh, on iron ore, um, we've had some news in the last couple of days that uh, Brazil and Vale have cut production significantly, and that price hasn't really moved down this year in any uh, material fashion. So I think uh, the headlines are showing different um, concerns about slowdown than the um, micro issues around particular commodities and the ones that we're exposed to. And the flip side of all of that is that um, later in the year, I think people are increasingly confident, and we saw President Xi say this just today, that he is determined to hit his 6% growth figure, um, even though people in the West are derating Chinese growth. So I think the chances of a big stimulus package in the uh, Chinese uh, domestic uh, space, which will be very good for infrastructure expenditure, is quite high. Mm -hmm. So I think if people understood that better um, and looked through the short-term fears, then um, they would see this as an interesting buying opportunity. And you know, today, I don't know when this, how this is going to date, but it was announced that I, you know, had bought some shares in we the past that. couple of days. So yeah, I'm pretty confident um, that we're going to be seeing um, volume growth in our um, uh, various mines this year. We're going to be making new investments. And um, so far, at least, the pricing for 2020 hasn't been below our original expectations for this year, despite the yeah. issues. To I mean, I did look at the numbers. It, practically all the numbers are up. I, I agree with you. It, you, you. You're growing and continue to grow, mm. apart from the share price. Mm. So when you say people don't understand, there are different types of people out there. There's the inter institutional analysts mm. who should be aware of the macro environment. They should understand that and they should take a view on it. Mm. Are you seeing them selling or do you think this is down to retail selling? I think I mean, it's been who, a lot who, who of the people? retail selling after the virus occurring. Because I think there's a link between, obviously, the mining sector and China. Right. There may also have been some selling relating to coal. And there, I think what we've got to be clearer about is that thermal coal, which is the thing that most people are concerned about, only represents um, you know, less than 7% of our um, income last year mm. um, and um, is really not material. Um, and that's a message we need to work hard at getting across to people. And yeah. that, as a percentage, is only going to decline as we do more transactions. Well, let's talk about some of those things, because I've got a lovely map of the world in front of me. Yes. Um, Hold off the press. Uh, where we're looking at the different types of commodities that you are now moving into, this around the EV thematic, battery, you know, batteries. Yes. Um, and the jurisdictions are, you know, Europe, Australia, Fiona, South America, North America. Um, predominantly so safer jurisdiction. So how are you going about selecting the commodities which are going to work? Is there anything that goes in a battery work for you or is it a bit more to it than that? Because obviously cobalt has its checkered past. Yeah, and there's a huge supply of lithium. Absolutely. At the moment and people who You did say that lithium, last time we spoke actually. Yeah, you really called that early. Been, uh, no, they've really been uh, 
troubled in terms of getting the returns that they expected. Mm. Um, so I think it is a combination of being opportunistic, but identifying the commodities which you think are going to do well. And you know the themes of you know greening can include um, the materials for um, you know Teslas and um, wind turbines and solar panels, but can also be involved with light weighting. Um, so alloys like niobium, vanadium, aluminum uh, would make sense, as well as mm. copper uh, and nickel, which are used for batteries. Um, you know, we are very interested in rare earths, um, and um, that's something where I think there could be an in- interesting investment opportunity. Um, po- phosphates, potash, which is part of yeah. the whole agri yeah. piece, and even uh, further iron ore. Um, you know, we continue to like Labrador iron ore because yeah. it's very high quality and um, uh, creates pellets. And so there's an, another thematic, which is just purity, less pollution um, as well. So okay. within those areas, um, you know, we continue to look opportunistically, uh, but you're right, it has to be in the right place and then it has to uh, make the right returns for us. Right, slight segue. Yes. Only because you called the lithium uh, market when we spoke last time. Yes. Um, uranium. Yes. What are your thoughts? Um, well, obviously, on the bull side for uranium, yesterday it was announced that President Trump wants to put together $150 million uranium stockpile, which isn't actually that much. Two million well. pounds. But yeah. still, something. Yeah. Um, I think the general concern about uranium. So I'm not clear about uranium. I think with lithium, I was sort of clear. We do have a number of uranium um, royalties already, so unlikely that we would want to increase that. Um, But I think uh, with uranium, it's clearly a managed market. Um, There's clearly an excess of supply now, both in Canada and in Kazakhstan. And so I think that will put a cap on the the price. Mm. When it's possible that a two-tier market develops uh, in the US, maybe Canada, which supplies the US mm-hmm. uh, because they want security of supply and those price, that pricing could be a bit higher. Yeah. But I think the idea that the uranium price has got to go back up to 60 or $80 to incentivize new production is sort of fanciful in my view because there is a lot of production on the sidelines which is just shuttered and could come back. Okay. And then you, know, you have to overlay on top of that. Yes, it's a theoretically clean source of energy and a lot of people mm. say that if you want to get rid of natural gas or oil, you absolutely need uranium as a replacement. Mm. Uh, But I think it does have a very checkered history with the environmentalists as well. And so that's a a factor that may hold back its general uh, implementation. So Mm. it's not absolutely clear one way or another. And therefore, probably uh, for the moment, we would not plow back in there. I mean, for some of the um, ESG funds, you know, in the same way that coal is a no-no, uranium is a no-no. And um, it's unclear to me whether that trend is going to develop further or whether it will go away. But it's, um, there are many other commodities which are more um, uh, predictable. I mean, nothing's totally predictable, but you can see better uh, the trends uh, than uranium, which has a number of these factors which uh, potentially cloud the outlook. Interesting. Thank you for that. So we, we do have a lot of uranium followers and they're constantly trying to understand the macro 
piece. Um, you don't have problem accessing capital at all. I know if you increase your facility, you're up to 120 million dollars, and you've got potentially the closing of a couple of transactions by the end of this quarter. Mm. So money's not your problem, which is a nice yes, thing. Yes, that's lovely. fortunate because we, um, if we had to raise money with our currently depressed share price, that would be an unfortunate yeah. combination. So to have that facility is, is fabulous. Your issue is finding the right deals which meet your criteria to deploy capital sensibly to get the types of return profile that you seek. Yeah, and the volume of that. Right. I mean, we need to ramp up the volume um, and you know, ideally do larger transactions. Well, that's what I was getting to. Yes. You know, with this capital available to you, yeah, and on how top do of that you get capital, that scale? We also have um, retained earnings of around $15 million a quarter. So, um, I mean, we constantly look at bigger opportunities. There are a number uh, which are in development at the moment. Mm. Um, you know, eventually we will do one. Nice. Um, and uh, and there are actually two or three at the moment which are of significant size, so big that we'd have to partner with others. So I think um, uh, we're ever hopeful, but in the meantime, we infill with smaller transactions which you know fulfill our criteria. Absolutely, it's it's, it's about getting getting that revenue flowing. Oh, so that's fine. So that's fascinating to me. The you were looking at significantly larger transactions by Santa if you're having to partner. Yes. With, with other groups. How do those relationships work? Is it, you, you, both get, you both cut the same deal. You, you, 50, yes, 50, it depends who they are, whether they're um, co-investors who are already in the um, space. I mean, given the fact that these area, these royalties are on non-precious by definition, yeah. that's what we look at, and that we are pretty specialized and have great knowledge in that. Generally, we would try and manage mm-hmm. the consortium and you know, get right. paid something for doing the sort of work and the auditing and the negotiations around the royalty, but otherwise the terms would be pretty standard. So there'll be some sort of deal fee which Anglo-Pacific should You retain. prefer to be in control in the driving seat as it were. So if I look at people like BlackRock have made various announcements about investing in green, I'm not saying there's any connection, but people like that to invest in green, they have the same ethos that you do in terms mm. of investing. You would say, well, we know a lot about this. We do the diligence. We exactly. understand what will and won't work. You give us your money, and we'll we'll invest it wisely. Or is it they have made the decision independently, and then you you manage that process? Well, How it, does it work? I mean, each situation could be unique. Right. Okay. But ideally, we would get paid a small fee for our expertise. But obviously, having critical capital mass in order to implement a transaction is also a benefit to us. Okay. And do you think those two new deals coming up and potential for more coming up after this year, do you think that's going to be enough to move the needle, get people interested, new people interested in your story because you're bringing scale? Well, I hope so. I mean, that's, we all, all we can do is what we do. Um, yeah. I mean, what's interesting is, as I said, if we were listed in Canada as our primary listing and had the same rating, we'd have a much different and much larger valuation already. Uh, but And so one of the things we will be doing, and we have been doing over the past couple of years, is to raise the profile in North America and market more there. Right. Uh, because it may well be that um, people who are already familiar with the royalty space and already invested in the more expensive, precious royalty companies can be uh, convinced what? to swap over to us. So what comes first? 
the, the marketing and getting known and then listing, co-listing there? Well, we do have a co-listing there, it's just not a primary listing. We're on the, you're on the, on the TSA Venture. Oh, no, on the full listing. On, on the, the full, full, full listing, project. right, okay, okay. And so, so we do, we, we have to do everything. Uh, right. there's, no, there's no chicken and egg, there's just constant, uh, you know, daily production of uh, but there's, there's scrambled talking, talking eggs. Chicken and, egg, <laughs> chicken and eggs, there's this gold, golden egg sitting there, yes. which is, you've got, a, you've got a, a, a listing on the TSX, you're telling me the sorts of multiples that these companies are achieving. Yes. Why aren't you chasing and hunting that down? We are. Uh, we are there. Um, and, you know, we are spending more and more time uh, marketing to uh, the Canadian institutions. And we're making progress. They see the valuation gap. Uh, they yes. understand the virtues of our model. It's just um, because there's not much share trading in Toronto, mm. um, they see us as a foreign entity and then they need more liquidity. And so we're sort of caught in that trap. Right. Not the value trap, but the liquidity trap okay. for, a, for a North American institution to invest abroad. Okay, you, you, that, that's difficult. So you're not a you're trying to be a challenger brand yes. over there, get known, yes, and then hopefully you'll get those for the institutions. That that's, yes, that's your that's path that, that's to the strategy. success for for North America. Yes. In the meanwhile, business as usual back here. Yes, exactly. Brilliant. Well, like, thanks for the catch up. I Always really enjoyed a that. To see you. It sounds like things are going well. The figures look fantastic. Yes, obviously, and um, yeah, and you're confident about the year ahead too. And a bit more marketing this year. We can or never stop marketing. Good luck. Okay, speak to you soon. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.